Good morning, Living Stoners. I'm going to keep saying that. I think I'm just going to, that's, that's going to be our thing. Good morning, Living Stoners. So my name's Tim. I am one of the leaders of our shepherding team here. Um, and we're, we're just so excited to have you guys. Each week, like what Randy was saying earlier, we, we, we put this on for you guys, um, ultimately to glorify God. Uh, but we're just so passionate about who God is. Um, and we're just so excited to have you guys here and being with us. And if this is your first time here, uh, we want to just say welcome. Um, uh, we're excited that you're just investigating the church, um, and we hope that you'll see God uh, through the word today. So we've been going over the sermon series. I always start my clock, so because I'm like 55 minutes long. <laughs> we've been going through the sermon series, The God Who Is There. And we've been focusing on the incommunicable attributes. Try to say that three times fast. Incommunicable attributes of God. Uh, and that simply means the attributes that are specific to God. Um, and it's not like us. It distinguishes them from all other creation. Uh, the first week, we went over God independent. Pastor Shea talked about that. And I'm just going to give you a summary of the last three weeks. Uh, he talked about God independent. He's independent of all things. Um, and he needs nothing. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. He's completely self-sustaining. Uh, we went over God transcendent. Uh, he's not only independent of all things, he's above and beyond all things. Um, he is limitless. He is unmeasurable. Uh, the text that we kind of went over that week was that he made the stars with his fingertips. Like, God is so massive. Uh, though just last week, Ricky preached on God Almighty. And God Almighty just simply means God's power is limitless and inexhaustible. Nothing, nothing is too hard for him. And this week, um, we're going over God omniscience or God all-knowing. And like R Ricky was saying last week, it's, we've been really trying to like separate these, these attributes. But the thing is, they almost can't be separated because God, they, they draw themselves in because God is just far bigger than we could even imagine. Um, but what I'm going to try to do is separate this attribute from God and try to give you what this actually means, God's omniscience. So the big idea for today, and I want you guys to take home, it'll be up on the slide, um, fully known, truly loved. Fully known, truly loved. That God fully knows all things, and you are fully known and truly loved. And my first point is going to be God of all knowledge. And my second point is God's intimate knowledge of you. So let's just dive back in here real quick. I'm just going to, we're going to break this up. Uh, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit up and when I rise up, or when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out a path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem in me behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is too high. I cannot contain it. And this leads me to my first point. 
God of all knowledge. You see, David here wrote most of the book of Psalms. And David's standing here in amazement. Just sheer amazement at the magnitude of God's knowledge. We see in verse 1 to 3 that God knows our ways. And God knows our words before they're even spoken. How? God's omniscient. But what is God omniscience? So let's kind of try to define this. Omniscience comes from the Latin word animus, meaning all. And siente, or siente, now, now, now I'm having a hard time pronouncing it. Siente, siente, which means knowledge. When we say God is omniscient, it means that he has perfect knowledge of all things. He does not have to learn anything. He doesn't have to reason things out, find things out, or learn them gradually. He knows everything that has happened, everything that will happen. God knows every potential thing that might happen. God even knows things that mankind has yet to discover. The omniscience of God means he fully knows all things perfectly, and he perfectly understands them. And he has the, wind, the wisdom on how to apply that knowledge. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian, uh, tries to give an, a, an attempt to capture the depths of his knowledge. I'm going to quote him right here. Um, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matters and all matter, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all beginning and every beginning, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feelings, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones, all dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. God knows everything. And because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no thing better than the other thing. But all things equally well. He never discovers. He's never surprised. He's never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor does he seek information or ask questions unless he's drawing men and women out for their own good. Saul, God is self-existent and self-contained. God fully knows all things. He's all-knowing, perfect and absolute knowledge. And David ponders this in wonder. He says in verse 6, look at verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot contain it. And verse 17 and 18, how precious, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, it would be more than the sand. God's knowledge is so infinite. We can't even really fathom it. Even me trying to, like I said, break this God all-knowing out of just the magnitude of who God is, it, it's, I fail at it. 
because God is just so awesome and so knowledgeable. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Simply put, God is not like us. He's not like us. You see, because much of our human experience is spent gathering knowledge and understanding. As humans, we are constantly learning and growing through study experiences and relationships. Our culture today, maybe more than any time in history, is after knowledge. We're information junkies. I mean, look, Facebook, Pinterest, I mean, you could, I can go on and on and on and on and how much information we're processing just daily. We want to be competent so we can achieve our personal goals. We want to be wanted. We want to be known. We spend much of our time devouring information, gathering data so that we feel a sense of security and safety. Only to feel the shiver of anxiety at the first moment of undisturbed silence. Rather than living surrendered to God all-knowing, we seek to take his place as the omniscient ones. I had a question from a friend one time, um, and he, he kind of questioned me. He said, uh, Tim, I don't understand how you can follow God when, when we have so much information and knowledge in our society. We just, we've got so much. There's no need for God. And I had to really think about that. I'm going to kind of rephrase my answer. Uh, that wasn't so good, but <laughs> I rephrased my answer, but... And I think really by the providence of God, he gave me this information. You see, each generation thinks themselves to be at the peak of understanding of knowledge. We have Gen X. What's the, what's the one right now? The, what's the? Millennials, yeah. Each generation thinks themselves to be better than the next generation. They think that the last generation was primitive than the, the last one. And if we just look 500 years ago, Christopher, Christopher Columbus set foot in America. And at that time, people thought he was crazy because he was going to go off the ocean because the earth was flat. If there's any flat earthers out here, sorry to burst your bubble, the earth is round. Um, <laughs> it's round. <laughs> so... Are we so bold to believe that in another 500 to 1,000 years in the future that those generations won't think us as primitive in our understanding? And I feel the bolder claim is to say that we have reached a time uh, where most knowledge and understanding has been already discovered, thus eliminating God. But how much do we really know? How much do we really know? And I... I was like, all right, let's do this. Sermon prepping this week. I'm like, I'm going to start nerding out. We're going to nerd out here in a second. Um, and I'm just like going through this stuff. So we're going to go through a little bit of a science class here right now. Sorry. Welcome to science class. Um, and we're going to see what do we really know. So the first slide here is a brain. Yeah, I was always told that um, we only use 10% of our brain. But that's not true at all. We only understand 10% of how it functions. That's crazy. 
I mean, we've been around for a long time, and we only understand 10% of our own mind. Romans 8, 27 says this, he knows us far better than we know ourselves. I believe it. And then uh, I kind of just start diving into species. Don't pull the slide up yet. <laughs> uh, do you know the amount of species we've discovered? Do you know? Yeah. How many species have we Yeah, the percentage of species that we've discovered. Your allow was very close. 12% on Earth. That's it. That scientists believe that there's still 8.7 million species yet to be discovered on Earth. That's crazy. And that we discover each year 15 to 18,000 new species a year. That's just on our Earth where we're still discovering. We're not at a peak. <laughs> so I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here because this is a, a, a good opportunity to present that um, Sasquatch is real. And they found the perfect picture of that. <laughs> so, uh, hey, we've only discovered 12%. Sasquatch is real. The jackalope, maybe. Lockless monster, probably not. But Sasquatch. But here we go. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Let's, let's give this a minute for a second. <laughs> All right, all right, we'll keep going. Uh, Psalms 50 says, I know all the birds in the mountains, all the creatures of the field are mine. He knows that 90 plus percent of all the other animals, he knows them all, he's named them all, he knows how they work. He knows Sasquatch. So the next slide. The depths of the ocean. Man, that's beautiful. How much, and if you guys were paying attention a couple weeks ago, you could be able to answer this. How much of the ocean have we discovered? Five percent. Five percent of the ocean we've discovered. Ninety-five percent of the ocean we haven't discovered. What's even more startling is that we've only discovered one percent of the ocean's floors. We are like, we have just scratched the surface of our understanding of our world. Job says this. Job was in, a, in the book of Job. Job was in like this argument with God going, challenging God's knowledge. And Job said, or God says, have you explored the springs of the sea? Or walk in the recesses of the deep? God knows every corner of this earth. Every animal of this earth. His knowledge is just, it's, it's way far beyond us. Let's go to the next slide. That's a pretty picture. Again, if you guys were paying attention a couple weeks ago, I might be able to answer this. We'll find out. How much of the universe have we discovered? I'll say that. 2%? 0. 0.6%? 4%. But, there's a big but here. Scientists have been baffled on the understanding that the universe is 
expanding. And scripture has said this in the beginning, that the, the universe is expanding. We've actually just stumbled upon this. Um, but they're, they're actually more baffled that possibly 4%, but it could be far lower. Far lower of the universe that we are understood. Psalm 147, verse 4 through 5 says this. He determined the number of stars and he called them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. I mean, just look at that picture. The back, the stars. Like, we're just hitting the iceberg of our knowledge. So I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is science is bad or progressive knowledge is bad. That's not what I'm saying. We've had medical breakthroughs, awesome scientific discoveries that push our culture progressively forward for the better. But what I'm saying is that the information we do possess is but a fraction of the knowledge of everything. And the knowledge that we do know, let that illuminate and point to the one who is infinite in all of his knowledge and understanding. Let it bring us to worship. Deuteronomy uh, 29 says this, the secret things belongs to the Lord, our God, but the thing revealed belong to us and his sons forever. God is all-knowing and limitless in his understanding. So God knows everything. It's crazy. But what I want to get at too is God fully knows you, that you are fully known. He knows, uh, let's just look back at one. We're going to go through one through uh, six again in Psalms. And I'm just going to kind of recap it for us. He knows when you sit down and rise up. God knows when you're going to go, uh, when you're going to do, whoop. God knows what you're going to do before you even do it. He knows you and is acquainted with all of your ways. God knows every thought, action, hope, desire, motive, your past, your present, and the future. He knows you completely and fully. And I want to bring two things out from this. First thing, we cannot surprise God. And there's no secrets kept from him. I don't know if you've heard this before. Uh, I've heard this so many times. If I go to church, I'll burst into flames. First of all, I'm pretty sure that hasn't happened. I'm pretty sure it hasn't happened. I don't see any smoldering anywhere, so... Let me know if it does. Uh, but God all know, like, that's saying, like, he doesn't know a certain aspect of you, right? God is all-knowing and cannot be surprised. To be surprised, he would have to have a lack of knowledge. Thus, he wouldn't be all-knowing. So God is not surprised by you. Uh, this state, I really think that that statement of God, like, if I go to church, I'll burn up, is really this statement. If God only knew me and what I've done, God would look at me and say, no. And that's just not true. Because God fully knows you and he fully loves you. What I can also see in verse 1 through 6 is there's no secrets that we can't keep anything from God. Nothing. 
Not one secret from God. And let's get real for a second. You may have succeeded in hiding something all your life from everyone you know. And I'm guessing that's true with every single person here in this room. I know it's true for me. And if you've succeeded in not telling anything, anybody, about everything in your life, you have not succeeded with God. He knows absolutely everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Your past, your present, and your future. There are no secrets with God. You are totally and completely known by God. Every thought and every desire and every sin. Everything is exposed to God. And there are two major implications here. God all-knowing, God's knowledge of all things is a double-edged sword. On one side, there's the idea that this can offer comfort to us and security. That God is in control and that he understands God is not puzzled by those problems that puzzle us. There's comfort in that. On the other side, however, the doctrine of omniscient highlights the fact that people cannot hide from God. Their sins are exposed. And like Adam, they seek to hide. However, there is no corner of the universe that's hidden from God's gaze. And neither wrath or love will reach them. So there is no masks with God. There are no masks with Jesus. See, this is the best relationship we'll ever have. And why the gospel is so scandalous. That we are fully known and, and loved by Jesus. Even in knowing our past, our secrets, and our thoughts. He came for you. He came for me. He totally knows you, you're totally exposed, but he totally loves you. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't it scary? Isn't it scary to you that all your relationships are contingent on whether people know certain things about you. So you trembly walk through life, hiding yourself from one relationship to the other. Because if you do or say certain things and let people know who you are fully, it might ruin the relationship. They might run from you if they discover what's underneath. You see, our deepest desire is to be fully known and fully loved. There's a book um, by Peter Serrazzo, and in this book, uh, he has an iceberg model. I want to pop this up real quick. You see, the iceberg model, um, this is not the actual, this is just a picture of an iceberg. I don't actually have the iceberg model up here, but the iceberg model shows that 10% of ice usually is above the surface. 90% is below the surface. The iceberg model shows that most people 
within the church and within society show about 10% of who they are to the rest of the world. As babies, we are fully vulnerable without a care in the world. But as time, upbringing, struggles, heartache, shame, loss, rejection, and the demands of our culture enter into our lives, it slowly submerges us more and more. You see, the other 90% below the water, that represents the things that we bury deep, that we keep secret, that we hide from the world. You see, we have a fear of rejection. We hide our brokenness from others. We put on a smile when we're not happy. We say we're okay when we're not. Brothers and sisters, you are fully known and fully loved by Jesus. And there's freedom in that. There's freedom in that. And Jesus knew our inborn treachery. And he's still engaged to save us. As a church, we want to be a place that longs to know you fully. To come as you are. To be vulnerable. Like we, this iceberg model, when I was reading that, I was like, man, that's a dang shame that we hide. We hide from each other. We try to hide from God. But as a church, we want to know you more deeply. We want to know you guys more intimately. And God loves you regardless of the secrets, the past, and the things that you're burying. So what's an application to all this, right? What's, first of all, what's the application to God omniscience? God all-knowing. First of all, we can trust in God, what God says. God is all-knowing. We can release our control and be comforted that he knows what he's doing and he's, he knows what he's doing in our lives. Second, we can remove the mask. This is an application that open up to somebody. Or one of the leaders here, maybe something like, maybe there's something that's burdening you that you're struggling with sin that you're dealing with that you're just trying to hide but it keeps coming up like trust me when I say this the enemy wants you to believe that you're the only one going through it and he wants you to be isolated and know that if you cast your burdens on a brother or sister that most likely we're going through the same kind of things and we can relate with each other. So cast your burdens. Don't be in isolation. Let those things go. God loves you. We love you. And maybe that's kind of tough to say though, right? Because maybe you've been hurt for being vulnerable. Maybe you've been hurt for sharing something about your past or something that you've been hiding and someone just straight up rejected you. 
Maybe the church rejected you that one time. That's not God's heart. That is not God's heart. God loves you fully, and he knows you completely. You are fully known and truly loved by Jesus. So let's get into the second point. God's intimate knowledge of you. Let's read Psalms 139, verse 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My father knows it, or my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has intimate knowledge of you because he's the creator of you. First, think about it. When you first create something, get, if you've created something, I think everyone's had some artistic skill or whatever, creating something, build something, uh, fix a car, you know how that works. You can take it apart, you can put it back together. God's hands were in there working you before the foundations of the world. He formed you in the mother's womb. And put you together. He knows every hair on your head. God's hands were intimately forming you and holding you and shaping you. He delights in every detail of your lives. Psalms 37. You are fully known and truly loved. And God thought of you long before your parents even perceived you. And again, God knew the treachery within our hearts because the created rebelled against the creator. And God, from the very beginning of time, had a plan to rescue you through Jesus. Ephesians 1, 4, 14 says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the, great, the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with the wisdom, uh, with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mystery, mysterious, or what? God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to be fulfilled his own good plan. And this is his plan. 
At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance. He makes everything work out according to his plan. And now you Gentiles, that's us, have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. By giving you the Holy Spirit who he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we could praise and glorify him. Church, do you understand? You do not belong to yourself. That you have been purchased and there's a receipt by the blood on the cross. That God truly loved you and fully knew you so much that he poured out his blood for your sake. That his body was broken to save you. This is the good news of the gospel. And Jesus is worthy of all praise. And I'll close with this verse. As David closes. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. Um, just grasping onto the information of who you are, Lord, is, is a tough thing to grasp onto, Lord. But ultimately, we surrender ourselves to you, Lord. We ask for a breakthrough and freedom, Lord. That there's freedom in uh, revealing who we are to other people, Lord. To cast our burdens on others so that our brothers and sisters can hold us up. That there's freedom in vulnerability. There's freedom uh, in you, Lord. There's freedom in knowing that you know us and you love us, Lord. Lord, your name is worthy of all. Your power is mighty above all things. We say all these things in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.